0: Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. A similar uh, incident in a way to the one we looked at with Rupert when we were reading about Zacchaeus, the, the despised taxman. Here is another case and how Luke uh, loves to brilliantly set the scene around Jesus drawing near to those who need him and recognize their need of him. So chapter seven, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself or thought to himself, If this man jesus were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is that she is a sinner jesus answered him simon i have something to tell you tell me teacher he said two men owed money to a certain money lender one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we can feel the tension in the room in Simon's house as Luke gives us this account of what happened, and so Lord Jesus, we pray that you would place us right there alongside you so that we can learn what they learned and that we might respond as she responded. For your name's sake, amen. Well, it is a slightly unfortunate layout in the order of service that says friend of sinners, Peter Dixon, which might be true, but what we learn today in Luke's gospel is that whilst... I might be your friend and you might be mine. I'm not able to do for you and you're not able to do for me what Jesus does as friend of sinners. That's the point that Luke is making. Here is somebody who doesn't just accept this woman, but here is somebody in Jesus who changes everything for this woman. And Luke is never uh, more keen than when he's writing these kind of tension-filled accounts of gatherings. He's never more keen than here in this one, that we should place ourselves right in that room and feel the tension at that dinner table. It's something of a Downton Abbey scene with, you know, the horrors of a maid appearing in the dining room or something like that, the footman serving the food without gloves or something cata- catastrophic in the social sphere, this, this uninvited guest who comes in and you can sense and feel from the way that Luke writes that nobody knows what to do or say other than Jesus. And nobody does know what to do with broken, sinful human beings other than Jesus. He is unique. He is the only Savior, Luke is saying. Nobody else, however friendly they might be towards anybody, nobody else can do for this woman what Jesus does for her here. And nobody else can help Simon the Pharisee learn what he is given the opportunity to learn other than Jesus. The skill with which he handles this uh, awkward, to say the least, situation is breathtaking. Let's look first of all at verses 36 to 38. And here I want us to answer the question of identity. What defines you? Who are you? If somebody uh, says, uh, in reference to you, who you are, what would they say? You know, we've got Ben Santry back with us. He's that student from St. Andrews. In this context, they'd probably say he's Kevin and Emma's eldest. It depends on the context, doesn't it? But who are you? What... What would someone else say about you to make it clear to others who you are? You're so-and-so's husband or you're such-and-such a person's child or you're the receptionist who works in the third floor of the office. Or There's, there's this identity question going on all the time as we refer to one another and place one another in categories, in our minds. How does Luke tell us who the woman is? She is just defined by sin. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Sin had defined her whole life and had carved out her whole reputation and had precluded her doubtless from many, many friendships and relationships. The fallenness of the world and the... A position in which she'd been trapped, one can presume that she was a prostitute and that she had fallen on hard times and that she was an, a nobody and an outsider in that town in every sense of the word. And that's, that's just who she is. The sinful woman. That's it. That's the description really all we know about her. What would someone say about you or me to someone else? We'd be quite shocked, wouldn't we, if we were absolutely honest, if someone said to acquaintances. Oh, uh, this is Peter. He's, he's that sinful person, you know, who lives with Eleanor Dixon. Or he's, uh, he's a sinful human being. But it is true. <laughs> it's just that in this woman's case, that's all that defined her here in the gospel and in the town. Now, what would you say to her if she came into the room and you were sitting next to Jesus and she came in between the two of you? What would you be saying to her, knowing her? You see, place yourself right there in the text, in the, in the event. Would you be keen to move? Or would you be able to say, You've come to the right place and the right person. I mean, it's theoretical, of course. But Luke is wanting us to feel and sense the atmosphere building up in the room as she appears and then acts in this demonstrably sensual, almost sexual way with uh, with hair and tears and wiping of feet and so on, and kissing and perfume. It is an act of huge, lavish, costly, expressive love, but an act performed by a woman who's only defined by her sin. Let's move on to verses 39 to 43, and here we need to uh, move on from identity to the questions of truth. What is true? While Simon is uh, wondering what is true about Jesus as he watches in shock and horror that this could be happening in his house. He'd invited Jesus and now this woman has come and causing a complete scene of embarrassment and he thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. So he clearly doesn't know and he clearly can't be a prophet. But Jesus wants to establish for, for Simon the truth of the matter. The, the irony is almost delicious. He thinks to himself he can't be a prophet. And Jesus answers him publicly when he said absolutely nothing out loud. <laughs> if any, if ever there was a evidence of Jesus being a prophet, it is here before you even open your lips, says Jesus. I know precisely what's going on in your mind. I am a prophet, he says. And Simon, a prophet from God, is about to speak right in to your mind. Not, not only do I know what's going on in the hidden place of your thoughts, I'm about to address you as no one else has ever addressed you, for I am the prophet of God speaking directly to you. I think Simon must have gone about as white as that screen. I'm not sure who was more exposed, the woman or Simon, but it's, it's a moment. So Simon listens and says, well, tell me what you have to tell me, he says. And Jesus says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. It's a very simple little parable. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? And Simon says, well, the one who had the bigger debt canceled you've judged correctly clever simon until one moment later he turns to the woman but still speaking to simon says do you see this woman and he's about to say here's what's going on here simon she has had many many sins forgiven and she's very very grateful And you are so self-righteous that you can't see your own sin. And so you really have very little gratitude at all. And he's pulled up and corrected by Jesus. Here's what the passage tells me. Once we get the truth about Jesus firmly established, and once I get the truth about myself Firmly established. Everything else in life can be built around that. Simon needed to know, he needed to be pulled up by Jesus and shown clearly what is going on with this woman. He needed to have his self-righteousness and his pride sliced in two as he was cut down to size. And the woman needed to be lifted up and to know that she was a sinner who had been forgiven a huge amount, but had been forgiven. Get the truth about Jesus clear. He is a Savior who can forgive you. And get the truth about myself clear. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. And literally everything else in life falls into place. If one of those is missing, nothing else in life will ever be right. But if those two things are in place, everything else will find its place. Identity and truth. Verses 44 to 48, I've called posture, posture before Jesus. (laughs) He turns towards the woman still, wiping his feet and what we're seeing here is that the right posture before jesus is not to run and hide but to kneel and to weep and to love if you've been placing yourself in the room at the dinner party or reclining at the table if you felt embarrassed pleased or annoyed? What's your posture before Jesus if you place yourself in the room? Are you like the woman, just grateful for him? Or are you like Simon, delighted that you're not like the woman? Or are you like everybody else trying to melt into the pot plants and hide? you'll have placed yourself somewhere amongst those. But if I have been brought to the point by Almighty God where I can see my own sinfulness for what it is and not pretend otherwise, then my sorrow means that for me, I cannot ever be too close to the Lord Jesus Christ. If God in his mercy has shown me, brought me out into the light, brought me, if you like, to breaking point with my own sin or to use the language that is associated with the more kind of public or addictive sins, if he's brought me by his mercy into the gutter so that I have no option but to understand my own sinfulness. If God has brought me there, then for the rest of my days, I can never be too close to Jesus. Like this woman, I will pour out my life, my heart, whatever I have for him, because I know that he's forgiven me and saved me. It is a wonderful thing to be exposed as a sinful person in the presence of a friend who happens to be the Savior. And then finally... As we close, verses 48, 49, and 50. Questions. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All all the others looking on, Who is this? Who is this? Who is this that pronounces forgiveness upon a woman like that? Who is he? Chattering behind your back all the time. If you're known to be a Christian believer, if you've been brave enough to say to your friends or your colleagues or your neighbors, yes, I'm a Christian believer. I belong to... Edinburgh North Church, or um, if you've been bold enough to say during the pandemic, well, I really struggled because we've no idea what's happening or how things are gonna work out, but I do know that God is in control. If you've been brave enough to nail your flag to the mast and say, I trust in God and I love his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can rest assured that behind your back the chattering will be going on who is this God Jesus that so-and-so is always speaking about well don't swear around her she's a Christian Oh, I know that I know you're a kind of religious person blah 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 it's all the time sometimes to our faces but all the time it's going on in people's minds and between them the staff room and garden fence the questions are being asked because we're on trial if you like we're being assessed Jesus is being assessed because we are being assessed and for some our love of Jesus my willingness to say I'm a sinful person who needs Jesus for some that will win, life-saving respect, intrigue. What's going on with this person? Interest, 15 that I know of, undergraduate students who aren't Christians are currently reading Uncover Mark's Gospel with a Christian friend. 15 of them in Scotland at the moment, probably more, but I know of 15, because there's interest. What is it with these Christians? Why do they believe that? With many others, it will be just ridicule, or pay no attention to it, or load of rubbish, or, or in our culture, horrendous, appalling. So-and-so's a Christian. Imagine believing things like they believe because in our culture there are things that you're no longer allowed to think and believe. Which is quite frightening. There was a undergraduate student in Abertay, as it happened to be, university, who wanted to start up a conservative students' association, as it happened, regardless of the political party. But the, the application was made, and the students' association voted, read the application, and voted unanimously to forbid it. Isn't that frightening? Because they're not allowed to think. That—that's. I think that's really frightening. And for those of us who would say, like this woman, my core identity is that I'm a sinful person who has been forgiven by the Lord Jesus, and it means more to me than anything else in this world. If that is who I am, there will be people in our culture will say you should not be allowed to believe what you believe. So it will take a certain amount of courage, but there'll be others who will say, tell me about Jesus. And Luke has a way of writing that just brings all these issues to the surface because he places us in the middle of a room where you can feel the tension and we're forced to think, whose side am I on here? What am I like with Jesus? Grateful for him? I couldn't care less what anyone thinks about me or him, but I'm grateful for him. Or lurking in the shadows, or self-righteous like Simon. Luke forces us, doesn't he? And God willing, this week, we will know that Jesus is not just our friend, but our Savior, just like he was for that woman. Well, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we draw near to your son Jesus and we confess with our hearts and say in our minds quietly that we are glad to belong to you. We never want to be far from you. Forgive us when we care far too much about what others think of you. Above all else Lord use our love for Jesus to bring others to know him too. For his name's sake, amen.